Hey, good morning, church. I'm so glad that you are here today. And for those watching online, we're glad you're joining as well. I'm excited to wrap up this series on Jonah. Jonah's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. I think it just, there's so many lessons we can learn from it. And so I'm excited to wrap that up today. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 4. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible, we'll also have it on the screen for you as well. But let me uh, kind of reset the story. Let me recap the story of Jonah up to this point, just in case you've missed one of these weeks. So Jonah is a prophet of God, which what that really means is that this is before time when uh, people had access to God's word. And so the way he spoke to people was through a prophet. And so he says to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and I want you to tell them to repent. And Jonah, as a prophet, should have just obeyed and said, okay, that's his job. That's what he does. But Jonah didn't like this plan. He didn't like this idea, and so he runs from God. He did not want to go to Nineveh, so he goes down uh, to the harbor, and he gets on a boat, and he goes in the opposite direction from Nineveh. He runs from God. Now, this is, this is free. This is just a side note. You don't have to write this down. If you decide to run from God at some point, if you decide to run from the one who's in charge of the storms and the waves and the seas, don't go get on a little boat, okay? It's just that's free uh, for you to take with you from here. That's what Jonah does, though. He goes and gets on a boat, and he goes out into the sea. And sure enough, a storm comes up, a big storm. And the, the sailors, they're worried. They can't figure out what's wrong. Why is this storm here? And, and somehow they figure out that it's Jonah's fault. It's because of the way of Jonah has been living. And so they throw Jonah overboard into the sea. Now, when I read that, I kind of thought, what if that's the way we operated today? Like that, what if that was our problem-solving method today? You're on your way downtown, you're going down I-25, you and some of your friends, you're going to a game, you're going uh, down there to eat or something. I-25 is just sitting still, traffic is just jammed, it's not moving, I haven't moved in like 30 minutes, and then it dawns on you. Your buddy Tom in the back seat cheated on his taxes, he's been bragging about it. You're like, hey, get this guy out of here, you know, and somebody throws him out on I-25, and all of a sudden traffic just starts flowing again. Tom's standing there like, man, it was my fault. Or you're going on vacation as a family. You get the whole family. You're going big. You're going to the Disney World in Orlando, Florida. You're going to fly the whole family there. And you're on the plane. You're about halfway there. And it really starts getting bumpy. There's a lot of turbulence. It's getting, it's getting kind of scary. And your daughter looks at Grandma and is like, Grandma, you've had a bad attitude since we got on this plane, right? And just opens the door and boom. <laughs> Grandma's out. The plane is smooth. Like that's what they did. That was their problem-solving method here. They throw Jonah into the ocean and as, into the sea, and as you know, uh, a giant fish comes and swallows Jonah. And so, uh, three days go by. Jonah prays, he repents, and God uh, has the fish spit the, uh, Jonah up onto the shore. And then Jonah goes to Nineveh, and he walks to Nineveh, and here's the message that he delivers. This is the whole message: In forty days, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. That's the message. That's his impassioned speech. I mean, you got to picture this. This stranger comes through the gates of a city and he gets everybody's attention. It probably takes him a few minutes to get everyone's attention. They're probably like, oh, he must, he's got something to say, you know. And he's like, okay, here's the message. 40 days, it's over. And that's it. Now, Jonah's story is crazy. And this message is crazy. But what's even crazier is that it worked. Jonah's like, you got 40 days and you're destroyed. And the people go, you know. I think there's something to this. And they repent and they turn to God. Now, here's what's interesting about this. If Jonah was just making this story up, and most historians believe that Jonah's the one who wrote this story down. If Jonah was just making this up, it would have ended differently. Here's how it would have ended. He would have, he would have said, you need to repent. They would have repented. 
And then they would have poured Gatorade on Jonah. They would have lifted Jonah up on their shoulders. There would have been a parade. I mean, Jonah would have been, a, been the man. He would never have to pay for dinner at a restaurant. Like they would have celebrated Jonah if Jonah was making this story up. But Jonah's not making this story up. He's telling the truth about this story. And it ends very much differently than that. So let me remind you of where it ended last week. If you're here, the end of chapter 3. This is what God says. When God saw what they had done, talking about the people of Nineveh, and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out destruction that he had threatened. So God changes his mind. This is a good day. These people, thousands and thousands of people repent. They turn to God. And God changes his mind and says, I won't destroy them. And so now what we're going to look at today is Jonah's reaction. We're going to see the reaction that Jonah has to God deciding not to destroy these people since they repented. So let's pick up in verse 1. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. What? Like Jonah's on God's side. They're on the same team. That's why he came to Nineveh, is to tell them to repent so that they would repent. And then they do, and he gets upset. He should be thrilled. He should be excited. He should be happy. But he's angry. Have you, ever, have you ever been there when you should be happy for someone? You should be excited about something in someone's life, but instead you get upset? You get angry? J just a few weeks ago, March Madness took place. How many of you filled out a bracket for March Madness? Anybody fill out a bracket? Yeah? It's the ones of you who didn't win are lying right now. You're not admitting to it. So March Madness, in case you don't know, it's, it's college basketball's tournament. There's 64 teams that come together and they play in this tournament to decide who's going to be the champion. And for all the rest of us who are watching, we can, we can get a bracket and we can pick who we think is going to win each game. And really the only reason we do this is so that if we do better than our friends, we can rub it in their face. That's really the only reason we fill out the bracket. My wife's family, every year, they do a bracket challenge. Now here's the thing about her family. She's one of three sisters. Sports was not what they grew up. I mean, they played some sports, but it wasn't like what their life revolved around growing up. And it certainly wasn't basketball. I, on the other hand, grew up in Kentucky, where that's the only sport that matters in Kentucky is basketball. So high school, college, basketball was my life. So it would be, it would be right to assume that at the end of this challenge, this bracket challenge, I may not win because there's some luck involved. We all know that, right? But I should at least be somewhere towards the top. Because it does have, have to do with who knows the most about college basketball. And, and I'm probably the only one on her side of the family who watches a, a game all year long. And I watch a lot of them. I'm probably the only one. And so her parents, her sisters, our nieces and nephews, we all enter this challenge. And last week when the results came out, here is what they look like. Um, I was right here. Number 15 was the last person. This is my six-year-old daughter. <laughs> I beat her. Barely. Here's my wife. I'm three below her. And up at the top is the nine and ten year olds who also beat me, the nieces and nephews. Now, here's what happened. My wife's sister sends out an email congratulating her husband who won and her two kids who came in second and third. And she says, hey, way to go. It was so much fun. I can't wait to do it again next year. What a great tournament. And as a follower of Christ, as a pastor, I should have responded Amen, and praise God, I love you all. <laughs> but <laughs> what I did was slam my laptop shut in anger 
that these little kids beat me in this challenge. Now, to make it worse, and I probably shouldn't share this with you, but I'm going to because we're friends here, right? You won't tell. The people who won, my sister-in-law and her husband and kids, they're missionaries to the Philippines. They don't know what's going on in college basketball in America. And to make it worse, I'm angry at missionaries in the Philippines. I should have celebrated this moment with them. I should have been happy. I should have wrote a nice message. I should still go back and do that, right? But I got angry. And I know that's a silly example. But here's, here's the point of this is that we're often more like Jonah than we are different than Jonah. We're often more like him than we are different. We often can get angry even though we may know that God is doing something. We can get jealous over someone even though we know God is doing something in their life and we should be excited. How does that happen to us? I think it happens to us the same way that it happened to Jonah. Because see, here's what never changed in Jonah's story. This never changed. When you read all through uh, Jonah's story, this never changed. Jonah was always focused on himself. From the very beginning, when he told God, I don't want to go to Nineveh, it's because he was focused on himself. When he ran, it's because he was focused on what he wanted. When he's in the fish, he prays, not because he cares for the people of Nineveh, but because he's in a fish and he wants out. He's focused on himself. When he goes to Nineveh, the reason that he gives this speech that is so so just blah, no passion and no love and no concern is because he's focused on himself. He's focused on what he wants and he wanted the people of Nineveh to pay. He wanted them to pay. And when we are focused on ourselves, we won't see what's best for others. When we're focused on ourselves, when we're focused on what we want, what we like, what we think is fair, what we need, we won't see what is best for those around us. Not only will we miss what's best for those around us, we'll miss what God is trying to do in us. Because God is always trying to do something in us. And so as we look at the end of this story, we're gonna see some things that Jonah missed because he was so focused on himself. And so this morning, I just need you to pretend. Can you pretend with me this morning? Can you pretend? Come on, all right, this side over here can. You guys, I'm worried about you. I want you to pretend that maybe, I'm not saying you do, but maybe, Sometimes you focus on yourself too much. I'm not saying you do. I'm not saying you do. I know you don't. But let's pretend. Sometimes we focus on ourselves too much. And as we look at the things that Jonah misses, let's think, am I missing these things too? If I were to focus on myself, would I miss these things too? So remember, Jonah's mad. He's angry at God because God has spared these people. And let's look in verse 2 of chapter 4. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I would rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Do you notice a theme in this conversation? Jonah's pretty focused on himself, isn't he? And think about it. He's speaking to God. He's having a conversation with God and he lists some amazing attributes of God. It probably would have done him well to take two minutes and just think about one of those attributes of God. But he can't. He's so focused on himself. He is just 
focused on him and his desires and what he needs. And because he's so focused on himself, in this conversation with God, he misses something. You have this in your notes. Jonah misses a chance to forgive. He missed a chance to forgive. Remember, Nineveh is the enemy of the Israelites. They hate the Israelites. And Nineveh is a vile, evil, violent place. But they repented. They turned away from their sins. They called out to the God that Jonah serves. And Jonah had the opportunity to forgive them. He had the opportunity to reconcile with them. And if anybody in the history of humankind should appreciate forgiveness and a second chance, it's Jonah. He just spent a few days in a fish. He should appreciate a second chance. But here's the problem. Jonah didn't want what he had. He didn't want them to have. Jonah didn't want what God had given him to be given to the people of Nineveh. It's almost as though he felt like there wasn't enough grace. There wasn't enough forgiveness to go around. I remember when I was in high school, my senior year, one of my goals, my senior year of high school, was to not carry anything to class all year. Not a book bag, not a book, not a notebook. I don't know why I came up with this goal, but somebody said set goals, so that's one I set. <clears throat> and so I would take my textbook and I would, I would put it on the teacher's bookshelf and I would hide it on there. And so when I would come to class the next day, I would get her bookshelf, uh, her, my book off her bookshelf. And my plan was to just borrow a piece of paper, borrow a pen or a pencil from somebody in the class. And it worked in most classes. Now, I know what you're thinking. Michael, how did you do homework and study for tests? Well, that's a story for another time, all right? But it worked out, so just forget it. But so most classes, it worked. Uh, I was able to borrow from somebody. But there was one particular class, and the guy who sat next to me, his name was Andy. Andy was an only child, and Andy had the nicest things in life. He had the deluxe trapper keeper. He had... <laughs> The electric pencil sharpener. You know, he wasn't doing this. He just, he just, you know, it was fancy. He had more paper than any human could ever use in life, much less in that one class. You know, he had, he had college rule. He had wide rule paper. He had graph paper. He had mechanical pencils, number two. number. If he had a number on it, he had one of the pencils. He had it all. And so I remember the first day, I said, hey, Andy, can I borrow a piece of paper? And I wasn't picky. I wasn't picky. Like, you can give me the wide rule stuff, the stuff nobody wants. It's fine. I'll take it. And Andy looked me square in the eye, and he said, no. I know. I was shocked as well. <laughs> and I said, Andy, look at how much paper you have. Like, you're not going to miss a piece of paper. You have plenty to go around. This is going to help me. This could change my life. This could keep me from being a high school dropout, right? I can finish this class. I can take notes. Andy, I need a piece of paper, and Andy refused to give me a piece of paper. The whole year, he wouldn't share his paper with me. And I think Andy didn't want me to have what he had, but I think even more than that, Andy knew my plan. He knew my goal of not carrying stuff to class, and so Andy wanted to teach me a lesson. Jonah, maybe the greatest second chance story in all of history. His rebellion had been forgiven. His stubbornness had been forgiven. His bad attitude had been forgiven. He now has the opportunity to forgive people. He refuses because he wants them to learn a lesson. And if I'm honest with you this morning, I think maybe if you were honest with me, at, at times when it comes to forgiveness, I'm not that different than Jonah. Like, I know I want God's forgiveness, and I want God's grace, and I want it quickly and abundantly and as much of it as he can give me. But that guy, that guy needs to learn something. 
Because right? I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. I didn't mean it, but that guy, he really hurt me and my family. He needs to learn. I, I just made a bad decision once, but, but that guy, he's made a bad decision over and over and over and over again, and they need to learn a lesson. I'm nice. They're a mean person. And before we know it, we are like Jonah, and we want to forgive, but we want, we want to be forgiven, but we want other people to pay. We want them to learn a lesson. And the only way they're going to learn is if we don't let them off the hook. But how wrong of us, how wrong of us to withhold what has been freely given to us, that Christ would freely offer us for forgiveness. How wrong of us to withhold that from someone else. We for, should forgive those around us the way that we have been forgiven, the way that Jesus has forgiven us. And there's a chance to forgive others. When you have that chance, it's a chance to show them Jesus because Jesus has forgiven us. And here's the truth that we need to remember when we think about us being forgiven. This is in your notes. Forgiveness is for me, but not only me. Right? It's for me, it's for you, but it's not only for me. It's not only for you. It's for the people around us as well. Jonah forgot this. And he misses a chance to forgive the people around him. He misses a chance to love the people around him. He misses a chance to show them Jesus because he's so focused on himself. And I don't want that to be me. I don't want that to be you. I want us to remember that life is not about us. It's about Jesus. And it's about making him known. And one of the best ways... One of the best ways you can make Jesus known to the world around you is by extending forgiveness to people. That will point them to Jesus. But that's not the only thing that he missed. For a chance to forgive is not the only thing. Let's keep reading in verse 4. Then the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry about this? And then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So God says to Jonah, hey, should you be angry that I'm forgiving these people? And look at Jonah's response. He doesn't respond. He doesn't say anything to God. He just grabs his, uh, his, his lawn chair and his flip-flops and his Mountain Dew, and he goes up to the side of the city. He sets it up. He looks down into the city, and he's thinking, I'm going to watch death and destruction come down on these people even though God's already told him I'm not doing that I've changed my mind Jonah's so focused on himself that he's still hoping that there will be destruction on these people and in this focus on himself and what he wants and how he would handle things he misses something else Jonah misses this a chance to celebrate Jonah missed a chance to celebrate. He's on the outside of the city looking in, hoping for judgment and death and doom. And he should be in the city celebrating with the people of Nineveh. Because they've just been brought from death to life. An entire city has been walking in darkness and now they're walking in light. And he should be celebrating that with them. And instead he's sitting out on the side of the city. Mad that things aren't going the way he wants only thinking about himself. And Jonah was hoping for what, if we're not careful, we can at times find ourselves hoping for. If we're, if we're not careful, we can hope for the same thing that Jonah hoped for about these people. You have this in your notes. He was hoping for a lesson to be taught instead of a life to be changed. 
As Jonah watched these people, he was hoping that they would learn a lesson instead of that their life would be changed. Listen, when others repent, we should rejoice. When others repent, our first and our only response should be excitement, should be rejoicing, should be celebration. No matter how far away they were from God, no matter what they have done, we should celebrate that moment that they moved from death to life. But when we focus on ourselves, listen, when we think about us and what we need first, we miss a chance to celebrate. And here's what I've learned. Those of us who have had a relationship with Christ for a long time, we miss chances to celebrate more often. And I think the reason is because it's been so long since we were brought from death to life. We've forgotten the celebration that took place when we accepted Jesus and we moved out of spiritual darkness into light. That happened years and years ago and we forget. And so we don't celebrate nearly as much as we should. And if we're not careful, it can even creep in to our church. We can walk in and, and say, hey, there's a new person in my seat, right? <laughs> Instead of, hey, there's a new person in my seat, right? We can leave church and say, there were so many people there hearing about Jesus. It took me 20 minutes to get out of the parking lot. Or we can say, man, there were so many people hearing about Jesus that it took us 20 minutes to get out of the parking lot. We can say, I just don't like those songs that we sing to Jesus. Or we can say, 3,000 people were gathered together singing songs about Jesus over the weekend. Yeah, yeah, we can celebrate, it's okay. We can say, please love me after this. We can say, they asked me to move to Saturday night so more people could hear about Jesus. Or we could say, there are so many people who need to hear about Jesus, I get to go on Saturday night so that they can come on Sunday. Right? Yeah. We can miss a chance to celebrate what God is doing. And here's what we like to say around here, is we give up the things we love for the things we love more. And we love nothing more than people coming to know Jesus Christ. That is what we love the most. That's what we are all about. But when we're focused on ourselves, we miss a chance to celebrate. My life, your life, it is not about our preferences. It's just not. It's about making Jesus known. That's what our life is about. And we forget it. We miss that God is doing something around us. We miss, listen to this, we miss the invitation that God has given to all of us to come in to celebrate what he is doing in people's lives. We miss that moment. Jonah had a chance to celebrate, but he missed it because he was so focused on himself instead of God. He misses one more thing in verse six. He's on the outside of the city. He's watching. He's hoping for destruction. And then in verse 6, it says, And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Now, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, just give me a second. <laughs> Jonah is sitting on the side of this city, 
waiting for them to be destroyed. And it's hot, and he's kind of suffering in the sun. And so God grows a plant. He grows a big leaf over his head to provide him shade, to provide him comfort. Don't miss the irony here. Jonah says, God, thank you for making me more comfortable, for getting rid of my suffering while he is waiting for people to suffer. Let me, let me explain a little more. He's so focused on himself that a leaf grows over him and provides him shade, relieves him from his suffering, and he is thankful to God so that he can pay better attention to people suffering. God's like, Jonah, I don't, I don't think you get what I'm trying to teach you here. And so God has more humor for the situation. In verse 7, it says, but God arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. And the sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry that the plant died? Yes, Jonah said, even angry enough to die. And he probably did like this because he was being super dramatic. (laughs) Yes, God says, listen, I grew a plant for you. That didn't work. He brings a worm. The worm eats the plant. It's really hot. Then he brings a hot wind. If you've ever been in the desert, it's like opening the oven and sticking your face right in. It's hot. It's miserable. It's not comfortable. He brings that on Jonah as he's sitting there waiting to watch this city suffer and die. And Jonah cries out and says, this is horrible. And God says, should you be mad that that plant died? And Jonah says, yes, I should be mad, even enough to die. How many of you have kids? Anybody have kids in here? Some of you, some of you don't want to admit. It's okay. I've been there. I've got three kids. And a couple of weeks ago, we took them to a place to just have a fun day with them. And we were playing uh, we went bowling, we played laser tag, we played arcade games, video games, we fed them pizza and ice cream and hot dogs and popcorn, you know, just a great fun day. Now, one of my kids has learned this phrase, and I don't know where he's learned this phrase from, but he's learned this phrase, this is the worst day ever. He's picked it up somewhere, I don't know where. So we have this amazing day. We spend more money on them than we should spend on them just for a random day. And then we come home, we come in the house, and I say, hey, will you, um, will you feed the dog? And this is what happens after this amazing day. This is the worst day ever. And I'm looking at my son. I've told you who it is now. I'm looking at one of my kids. And I was like, I have a little Jonah, right? He's being a little whiny baby right now. But here's the thing. My kids are six, four, and three. Jonah was a grown man. How many of you know a whiny grown man? Point him out. Ladies, put your hands. I'm just kidding. Put your hands down. (laughs) Oh, man. Our marriage series is still online if you need to go back and watch some of that. Jonah's a grown man, and he's just whining about his discomfort and about what he wants. He's so focused on himself that notice the third thing he misses. Jonah missed a chance to grow. He misses a chance to grow. God is trying to open his eyes. God is trying to teach him. Jonah misses it. Look what God says to him in verse 10. Then the Lord said, 
You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? God wanted Jonah to see that 120,000 people in the city, over 500,000 in the region, had just left spiritual darkness and walked into light. They had been rescued, but Jonah couldn't see it. And I find when I'm focused on myself, when I think about things not being done the way I want, when I complain that it's not how I would do it, when I'm unwilling to forgive others, when it's about me, 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 God wants to teach me something. When it's all about me, God wants to teach me something. And don't miss this, don't miss this. Some of this, some of you might be right here. God is good in how he teaches us. God is good in how he helps us to grow. Notice he first tried to teach Jonah by providing for him. Jonah's uncomfortable. He provides for him in his loving kindness and his patience with Jonah. And Jonah took a lot of patience. He provides a leaf. He provides shade. He provides comfort. Life was better. And he was hoping that Jonah would notice that God had provided for him and see that God was providing for the people of Nineveh and see what God was doing and be excited about it. But, God, but Jonah doesn't see it. So God takes away the provision and he brings the worm and the worm eats the plant and God brings pain into Jonah's life. God brings pain onto him and says, if you couldn't learn from the provision, maybe you can learn from the pain. And God is trying to teach him something that, that I believe is true. Maybe you've experienced this as well. God wants to teach him that sometimes we grow because of the provision, but sometimes we grow because of the pain. Sometimes we grow because God has provided, but sometimes we grow because of the pain. And when I think back on my life, I think how many times was God providing for me? In his love, in his mercy, in his goodness for me, he was providing because he wanted to teach me. He wanted me to grow. And I was just too focused on myself. And I didn't learn anything. And so instead of the provision teaching me, he had to teach me through the pain. And I can be stubborn. I can be hard-headed. And often I ignore the provision and it is the pain that draws my attention back to God to, to see that he is doing something around me. God is both the God of provision, but he is also the God of the pain and he can teach through both. And he tries to do that with Jonah, but Jonah doesn't get it. And here's why I think God, Jonah didn't learn in the provision. And here's why I think Jonah didn't learn in the pain is because he had lost sight of this principle. And if you don't remember anything else, if you don't take anything else, else with you today, we need to remember this. My life is not about me. My life is not about me. Your life is not about you. Listen, the story of Jonah was not even a story about Jonah. It was a story about God and his love and his goodness and his mercy. But Jonah missed it because he made it so much about him. Jonah missed a chance to forgive people, to forgive an entire city, thousands of people that he had bitterness and hatred towards. They repented and he could have forgiven. He could have walked into that forgiveness with God and he misses that chance. He could have missed a chance to celebrate life change. Hundreds of thousands of people who were in darkness are now in light, who had no hope, now have a hope in God. He could have celebrated with them, but he misses that because he's so focused on himself. Jonah could have grown in his relationship and his understanding of God. God wanted Jonah to see things the way that God saw things. But at the end of the day, Jonah 
cared more about this plant than he did about these people. He cared more about this plant that was there and then died than he did about these people. And when I study this, I wonder, how can a prophet of God care more about a silly plant than he can these people? And I wrestled with that. And I think the reason is because the plant affected Jonah's day-to-day life. What happened to the plant affected his day-to-day life. What happened to the people didn't. Those people live or die, they didn't really affect Jonah, but the plant affected Jonah. And he was so focused on himself that he only cared about the thing that was affecting him, and he lost sight that there was an entire group of people who were going to die without Jesus if they didn't repent. My life is not about me. Your life is not about you. Jonah made Nineveh about him, and it was never supposed to be. And if we're honest this morning, as followers of Christ, we can make life about us. And it's not about us. It's about turning people to Jesus. It's about helping people find and follow Jesus. That's what all of our lives should be about. It's pointing them on to our Heavenly Father. In fact, Jesus, that's what his life is about. He says this when he comes to earth. For the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, came to. He says, Here, here's why I came, is to seek and save those who are lost. That was the reason Jesus came. It wasn't about him. It was about others finding him. Your life, my life, it's not about us. It's about Nineveh. You say, Michael, where's my Nineveh? Listen, your Nineveh begins where your front porch ends. Your Nineveh starts where your driveway ends. Because you have neighbors who don't know Jesus. You have co-workers who don't have a relationship with God. You have family members who will be lost in eternity unless someone points them to Jesus. And just imagine with me, just, just for a minute, imagine. What if just the people in this room, just this service, what if just us, instead of running away from Nineveh, we ran to Nineveh? What if just those of us us in this room, we decide, you know what? I'm going to invite my neighbor who I know does not have a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to begin to invite them into my home so I can point them to Jesus. What if those of us in this room, just us in this room, said, you know what? I'm not going to work just so I can get a paycheck. I'm going to work so that I can point someone on to Jesus. What if those of you in this room said, you know what? I'm going to forgive somebody. They may not even deserve forgiveness, but I'm just freely going to give them forgiveness because we want others to experience what we have experienced. What if, just those of us in this room, what if we joined in to what God is doing around us already? Instead of being upset, Instead of complaining, instead of getting mad that it's not how we would do it, it's not what we like, it's not our preference, it's not comfortable, it's not easy, they're not nice people. Jonah's life was not meant to be about him. My life is not meant to be about me. Your life, listen, it's not meant to be about you. But only you can decide if it will be. Only you can decide if you will miss out on what God is doing around you because you're so focused on yourself 
or if we will join in to what God is doing around us. Because we've made our life about making Jesus known. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. As we enter into a time of prayer, I, I just want to ask you to not think about the person next to you, not think about what's for lunch, not think about anything else. I just want you to focus on yourself for a minute. And I want you to ask yourself, maybe, maybe your life has been about you. Maybe most of your days are about you. And today is a day that you want to recommit your life being about Jesus and making him known. Today is a day that you courageously want to say, hey, I'm not going to put myself first. I'm going to put others first so that I can point them to Jesus. If that's you, I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up all around this auditorium? Yeah, thank you. I know that takes courage because it's not easy. We know it's not easy, don't we? Oh, but it's what we were made to do. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for these men and women who just raised their hands and said that they want their life to point others to you, that they want to take a back seat, put others first so that they don't miss out on what you're doing around them, so that they can join in the celebration of life being changed around them. So I pray you give them the courage and the wisdom and the patience as they walk out of these doors with a new agenda, with a new motive when they get up in the morning to make you known. For those of you who are here, heads are still bowed and eyes still closed. Those of you who are here and you say, you know, I, that can't be my agenda to make Jesus known because I don't know Jesus. I've never asked him to be my savior. I've never started a relationship with him. I've attended church, I've, I've been a good person, but I've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. If that's you this morning, Listen, God celebrated when these thousands of people in Nineveh came to him, but scripture tells us that heaven celebrates when one person comes to know Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, if you would say, today is the day I want to enter into a relationship with Jesus. I want to make him the Lord of my life. I invite you to pray this prayer of faith with me. There's nothing magical about these words, but right where you are, if today is the day you want to start a life with Jesus. Would you pray this where you are? God, thank you for your son. Thank you that he died on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. I ask you to be my savior. And I commit my life to you. With head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer, that's the greatest decision you have ever made in your life. And I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you as you leave here, how that looks differently in your life. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you just prayed that prayer, on the count of three, I, I would ask you to raise your hand so I can celebrate with you and with heaven that you have entered into a relationship with Jesus. No one is looking around. If you just prayed that prayer, raise your hand. One, two, three. Hands back here on my left, down here up front, up front, over here on my left. Over here, Mark. Keep them up for a minute in the back, back there. Right here, I see. Right here. Man, let me pray for you. God, thank you for these men and women who have just left darkness and entered light. Their eternity is forever changed in this moment. Thank you that they have chosen to make you the Lord and the Savior of their life. And I just pray that you give them the courage 
as they walk out of these doors to point others to you. God, we love you and thank you so much that you would send your son to die for all of us. May we make that known to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.